Hey friends, this is Josh Blair. I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer is that the message you hear today will encourage you, inspire you, and help you walk closer with Jesus this week. Family, it's good to be in the house of God today, amen? It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I want to uh, mention before we get started, if you would like to follow along with the notes this morning, you can use the YouVersion Bible app. You can put it up there. We have we use this every week with notes, uh, the scriptures in there, and also questions for the week that we have for community groups. So you can, if you don't have the YouVersion Bible app, you can download that. If you have a smartphone, uh, if you have a flip phone, uh, Dad, sorry, you can't use this one. So um, <laughs> one day, one day. But you can follow along there. Uh, we're continuing in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be jumping into chapter 5 this morning over the last four weeks. Or so five weeks actually we went, we've gone over the first four chapters of Mark and last week we looked at the parables that, that Jesus spoke of in, in chapter four. How many of you were here last week for that? Awesome. So we're going to be jumping into chapter five. The, the last portion of chapter four that we did not cover is the portion of Jesus calming the storm. And that portion of scripture the storms rise up on the Sea of Galilee. The wind is fierce. The wind and rain is so so tumultuous that the, the fishermen, the disciples who are fishermen by trade, are scared to death. So you'd have to imagine it was a pretty severe storm, right? And Jesus, it says, is asleep with his head on the cushion. He's comfortable in the middle of their storm. And Jesus rises. They wake him up because they're afraid they're going to drown. And he gets up and... He calms the storm. He speaks to the wind and the waves, and they cease immediately. And the disciples in chapter 4, by asking themselves, who is this guy? Who is this that even the wind and the rain obey him? I'm not going to be preaching on that this morning. We're going to go into chapter 5. But it's important to know that in chapter 5, something's going to happen that talks about the end of chapter 4. But can I just tell you something this morning? That Jesus is not afraid of the storm of your life that you're going through right now. Jesus is comfortable right in the middle of your storm. He's not afraid. He's not panicking. He's not wringing his hands, worried about what's going to happen next. Jesus is, is secure in the middle of your storm. Even though you might feel like you're the wind and the waves are going to overtake you and you're in the middle of drowning. If you call out to Jesus, Jesus is the one who can calm the storms in your life. And so they... In- with Jesus rebuking the wind and the waves, and the same word he uses to rebuke the wind and the waves is, is, the, is the same word he's going to use in chapter 5 when he confronts the demon-possessed man. So before we jump into scripture, I, wanna, I want to pray together and ask the Lord to open up our hearts and reveal his word to us, shall we? Lord Jesus, we love you. We invite you, Holy Spirit, who reveals the word to us to come and to speak to our hearts today. Open our ears to hear. Open our eyes to see. Let us receive what you have for us, God. Let it be your word spoken this morning. I pray, Jesus, that you would help me to convey your truth to your people today. To embolden, to encourage, to strengthen, to exhort, and to correct in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says this, And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. So this is, this, Mark is telling us they're no longer in Jewish territory. They have left and they're on the other side of the sea. They're in another country of the Gerasenes. And it says, 
And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him um, uh, out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched them, he wrenched the shackles apart, and he broke, broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him, and night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying aloud and cutting himself with stones. So we need to stop here because this story, for the original audience of Mark, and especially the Jewish people, would have been a graphic story. It would have been so graphic, in fact, it, it reminds me, you know, when you're you're scrolling on Instagram or Facebook and you see something that's blurred out and it says graphic, graphic nature, and it's blurred, it has, it, it, it's sensitive content, and you, you'd actually have to click on it to see what was happening in that in that video, right? Has anybody done that recently? I always am a sucker for that. I'm like, oh, I'm okay with it. Let's see what happens, you know? I'm always like, I'm like oh, that is graphic. Yeah, that, that person really got hurt, you know? This would be a story that the Jewish people would wish that were blurred out, and they would wish it. Give me an option to either hear about this or not because it's so graphic. Let me tell you why it's so graphic. First, the people would have been reading that Jesus was in Gentile territory. And if you know the history of Jews and Gentiles, they were never supposed to mix. The Jewish people were supposed to remain, based upon what their understanding of what God was doing, were to remain separate from the Gentiles, so they were never really to cross the sea and go into to Gentile territory. So that was a big kind of no-no, a little bit of a blur for them. Then they have this Gentile man, who's living among the tombs. He's living in a cemetery. And for Jewish law, Gentiles were already unclean, right? We weren't supposed to mix with them. And we were certainly not to be hanging out with dead people because the dead, would, even being near them, would make you ceremonially unclean. So this guy, unclean because he's not a part of the Jewish people, he's unclean because he lives in the cemetery. Then the next thing is it says he's possessed by an unclean spirit there's no, we don't have to guess at that. We don't need to know the history of it to know that the spirit makes him unclean because it is in itself an unclean spirit, a demon. And, and then fourthly, we, we read later on in this story that he's surrounded by a herd of pigs. 2,000 plus pigs are around this guy. So, And pigs were unclean, unclean animals. The Jewish people couldn't own them. They couldn't even be near them, couldn't touch them, couldn't eat them. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, that we have the cross, we're on the other side of the cross, we can enjoy bacon and ham in the name of Jesus. But this guy had four strikes against him already, and if the people, the original audience of Mark, the Jewish people, hearing this story would have said, whoa, what is going on here? What is Jesus thinking? This guy is unclean upon unclean upon unclean upon unclean. How could Jesus interact with this person? It's so graphic, the nature of to hear that Jesus when interacting, it would have been scandalous for them to hear it. They would have kept scrolling on Facebook or Instagram. They wouldn't have clicked to see what this graphic story was all about. But it's evident to me that this story is ordained by God. That this encounter with Jesus and this demon-possessed man is ordained by God. Because in chapter 3, if you were here Two weeks ago, we discussed this parable when Jesus interacts the scribes. You remember I was writing on the board the sandwich thing? And it says the scribes can 
accused him of being possessed by Satan. And Jesus says, no, I'm not. How could a house divided against itself stand? No, I've come to bind the strong man because you can't plunder what's in the house unless you bind the strong man who's in charge of the house. Remember that? And in this chapter, chapter five, it starts out with this man who was trying to be that that people were trying to control him and bind him. But he kept breaking the shackles and the chains that they wrapped around him. And I want you to see the connection between chapter five and chapter three, that Jesus came to bind up the ones that no one else can bind up. Jesus came to bind up the demon that the people around this man could not hold captive. And Jesus had this divine encounter with this man in a cemetery who was filled with unclean spirits. And God said, I want to do something right here in this moment. The people in this man's neighboring city could not bind him. And yet we see Jesus alone has the power to bind the devil. Verse 6 says this, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said this. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adore, adore you before God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. So this man possessed by a demon sees Jesus from far away. He runs to him. He falls down before him. And the demon inside this man happens to answer the question of the disciples at the end of chapter four. Who is this man who calms the sea and the storm? And as they roll up on the shore, this demon-possessed man living in the tombs who is four times unclean runs to Jesus and answers the disciples' question. He is Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. See, we, we may struggle with knowing who Jesus is, but all of heaven and earth will know all the spirit realm knows who Jesus is. You may not know, you might struggle. Who is this Jesus? Who, who, who is he really? Well, can I tell you the devil knows and all of heaven knows that he is the living God, the son of the living God, the most high. Amen. What's interesting to me is that the, the disciples in chapter 3 says, Jesus says that you have been given the secret of the kingdom. So either they're not really listening or they're not really grasping what he's saying. Or they're looking at Jesus with a different filter on. They're expecting one thing and Jesus came to do another. And he's saying, I am the one who came to set you free. It's really not even until chapter 8 that we see a confession of who Jesus is by the disciples. Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're, you're the Savior. And even after that, he, they still argue about who's first and last and who's going to sit at the right hand in the kingdom. So can I encourage some of you today? Maybe you've been following the Lord for years and maybe you still have questions about what it means to follow Jesus. You're still struggling to understand. I'm trying. I want to encourage you that the disciples walked with him. He gave them the secrets and they still didn't quite get it. So allow the Holy Spirit to continue and perpetually teach you as you walk with Jesus. Because you might still be struggling, you might still be wrestling, but don't give up. Even the disciples who walked with him were like, who is this man? And had to be given the answer by an unclean spirit through an unclean man. 
And Jesus begins to speak to this demon in chapter in verse 9, and he says this, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Could you imagine that scene? Seeing 2,000-plus pigs just running down a steep bank and then into the water and all drowning? That would be traumatic. I would choose to keep that one blurred if I had the choice. Not a big, I mean, I like pigs, but I don't want to see them all drowning, right? If you do, maybe we should have another conversation because I feel like that all of us would be, I don't, anybody like, oh, I'd buy tickets for that. That'd be weird, right? That would be weird. But beyond this graphic story that's happening, there's more information here. There's more information for us to glean just below the surface. And that's kind of a pun because the pigs drown just below the surface. But they're below the surface of just looking at this as the story is presented. There's more that, that Mark is trying to reveal to us. And knowing history, we understand that there's something about the land or the country of the Gerasenes that we should have connection with. When, 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 when Mark is writing, he's, he's writing and he knows that there's a, uh, a Roman military post in the land, of, in the country of the Gerasenes, in the Decapolis, which is the ten cities that are that are around that area. That section's named after. And in this in this city, in this post of Roman military, there's a Roman legion there, which was the term that they used to describe the basic military unit of the Roman uh, army. And these le legions, the legion of the military in that country, the banner, their their, their signet banner, was the head of a boar. So what is Mark trying to say in this story? What is, what is, the, what is the layer, if we peel it back, what, what is Mark saying about the authority that Jesus has on earth? Because not only is a man filled with, with a legion of demons and they, they get cast out and into pigs or boars that drown themselves, but there's also a legion of military, a military base of, of Roman might and strength upon, in this area and their signal is the head of a boar could there be a connection could there be something more that we could discover and decipher through this illustration because this legion this military might and strength they possessed the land and they also oppressed the people that were there the people were under their might under their power they were under their submission and i think it sounds familiar to me because this man who was possessed by the legion of demons was also oppressed by them, living among the dead, oppressed by a legion of demons who Jesus casts out into a herd of pigs. What's happening here? I believe that Mark is wanting us to see that the power and dominion of Jesus, the authority of Jesus is not just spiritual, it's also physical. It's not just a spiritual interaction that he has power and authority over demonic things, but he has power and authority over all things, all kingdoms, all authority, all power, all governments. He has authority. He has authority. 
In fact, Mark alludes to this from the very beginning of the gospel. He states that in the gospel that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came to present the gospel of the good news of Jesus. If you know anything about the, the Roman Empire, if you're a, a student of history, which I really love history, the, then you'll know a part of this that that at the time that of, of this, this happening in Jerusalem and, in, and around the area, Jesus on the scene, the emperor of Rome at that time was Caesar Augustus. He was the emperor, yes? And we know from history that Augustus was adopted by Julius Caesar. How many of you had to read the play, Julius Caesar, Shakespeare, E2 Brute? Anybody? Maybe not. Jesus, uh, Julius Caesar, he became the dictator of Rome because Rome was a republic and they had senators and all of a sudden it starts to break down. He, he decides he's going to take power over everything and then a few of the senators kill him. They stab him and that's where he says, you too, Brutus, because Brutus was one of his bros and even Brutus stabbed him. They kill him. After they kill him, Augustus takes power and says, I'm emperor. I'm not just a dictator. This is not a democracy. I'm the emperor, right? And after that, the people begin to uh, deify Augustus. And they deify his uh, stepfather or his adopted father, Julius Caesar. And they say Julius Caesar was God and Augustus is the son of God. This is the language they used. And they said that, that any time the word that came from Augustus came to the people, they called it the gospel. The good news uttered from the emperor to our ears. And not only that, but the name Augustus means exalted one. It means the one lifted high. The one who's supreme above all. And any time he came, he came that his gospel, he said, was the gospel of Pax Romana, or the gospel of peace for Rome. Does it sound anything familiar to our, the good news of Jesus, who they say Jesus was and is? Mark was wanting to confront not only the spirit, but he also wanted to confront what was happening in reality, in the real time, of this oppressive power, this oppressive government that was oppressing the people. And he was saying, you don't have to be afraid of whatever power you face in this world, whether it be spiritual or physical against you. Our God is greater than all power in this earth. He's greater than the emperor. He's greater than any military legion. He's greater than any spiritual legion. He has authority over all. And you don't, you don't have to live in fear or oppression of a man when you serve the living God. He came. To demonstrate that Jesus is more powerful than any ruler or any power on the earth. He has more authority over Rome. He has authority over Satan. He has authority over even the religion and the law of their day. Because he, he went and embraced and encountered those who were unclean and says, I make you clean. He had authority over everything. And he is superior in every way. And it's in Mark's audience they would have saw that connection. That original audience would have seen. There was a military strength that oppressed the people called Legion who were represented by the boar. And Jesus came and cast out the Legion and killed the boars. Jesus says, I've got power over these things and over whatever has power over you. I am dominant over too. After Jesus casts out the demons and they run into the pigs and the pigs drown themselves. It says in verse 14, the herdsmen fled and 
uh, told it to the city and in the country, and people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from that region. Those of you who are followers of Jesus, have you ever had someone react to you differently when you became a follower of Jesus? Like they couldn't understand what happened? Like you're not going to come out and party with us anymore? Like who are you? Wait, you don't talk like that anymore? I don't know if I know you. Yeah, I, I, you were, hey man, I thought you used to be cool, but now you're, you're following. The, what are you doing? Even to the point maybe that the change of your life from the old to new was so dramatic that they pushed you away. Said, man, you can't be with us. You can't hang out with us anymore. You can't walk with us anymore. You can't, you can't, you can't be around us. You can't be in our circle anymore. I think the people here couldn't understand what Jesus had done. And, and instead of wanting to know how and why, they just pushed him away. See, there's going to be people in your life when you begin to follow Jesus and say, my life is going to be his and I'm not living for myself anymore. That they're not going to understand what's happening, what God is doing, the transformation in your life. And they're going to push you away when really they should be drawing you near. They're going to say, I, I don't, I, it's scary to me the changes you're going through. And I would rather push you away so that I can continue to live the life I want rather than be confronted with the truth that you're living out every day. I want to be comfortable in my sin, so I have to push you away so that, so that your comfort with the Lord doesn't make me uncomfortable. And the people, not understanding what Jesus had done for them and for this man, were terrified, terrified and said, you have to leave. You have to leave. And even, could you imagine for the farmers? I mean, we're, we're in a farming community. Could you imagine all your pigs being dead in one day? That's pretty traumatic, too. I'd be like, Jesus, I believe in you. Could you raise my pigs back to life, please? <laughs> I got to pay some bills. Because following Jesus, it costs you something. There's, there's going to be collateral damage when you follow Jesus. Collateral damage, which will be for the good if those, if they're willing to accept it and willing to receive it. Because dying to yourself doesn't always feel comfortable, but there's got to be a death. And for the pigs, they drowned, but it demonstrated that Jesus came to bring life. And I want to let you know, I'm going to be thrilled for you when you decide to follow Jesus or when Jesus has set you free. They might just react like the people did, saying, you can't be with us anymore. And Jesus, what I find interesting is that after this encounter, he went across the sea slept through the storm, woke up, rebuked it, got to land, encountered this demon-possessed man out of the cemetery, and then he's like, all right, I'm ready to go. He turns around, he gets back in the boat. What does that mean? It means that Jesus came for that one man. He crossed the sea, went through the storm, rebuked it just for this one man. He wasn't there and said, all right, well, we did this, but now let's go do what we came to do. No, he came for that one man, that one demon-possessed man. He went and entered into a foreign territory, encountered a man with demons living among the dead, surrounded by 2,000 filthy pigs, 
and he went just for him. So what makes you think that Jesus won't meet you right where you're at this morning? If Jesus was willing to go through a storm and encounter the unclean, then what will he do to meet you today? Jesus is willing to go beyond anything to encounter you today. And it doesn't matter what level you are in relationship with him, whether you feel like you're unclean or you're unworthy. This man, four times unclean, Jesus went to meet with him. You are not so far gone that Jesus would not come to be with you in a moment if you would just say, Lord, I want to know you and I want to encounter you today. Whatever mess you're in, whatever pain, whatever turmoil, whatever junk that your life looks like right now, Jesus has come to set you free. There's a song that says there's nothing too dirty that he can't make worthy. And the truth is, it's for us today. There's nothing in your life so dirty that he cannot make you worthy. There's nothing. Let this be an image. Any time that you feel guilty or the shame of the sin of your past or the things that you've done begins to weigh heavy on your shoulder. Think of this man who was possessed by a thousand or more demons living in tombs, cutting himself and crying aloud on the mountaintops, naked, broken, shackled and alone. And think if Jesus can renew him and make him free, he can do it for me, too. He can do it for me, too. Verse 18 says this. As he was getting into the boat, Jesus, the man who had been possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him. But he said, go home, go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. Do you know even today they've uncovered a, a church in this region that has a mosaic of what the miracles Jesus had done on the floor? This church had burnt down. They called it the burning church because it had burnt and the ash had covered the mosaic on the floor and it kept it for nearly 2,000 years in perfect condition. And just recently, I was reading an article where they had gone and they began to clean it up and they saw in this mosaic of tile work all across the floor the miracles of Jesus, the feeding of the, the, of the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fishes. And they believe this man, this man's word, this demon-possessed man who went and told everybody in these neighboring cities of what God had done, the, he was the, the, the benefactor of that church being planted. This man who was living in tombs among the dead, cutting himself day and night and screaming out in pain, became a testimony to 10 cities to know who Jesus was. So what can Jesus do with your life? What can Jesus do through your testimony? How can Jesus change other people's lives around by, by what you say about him? Jesus freed this man, sent him to tell others the good news and he did, and they marveled. See, it doesn't matter what your past is like or how messed up it was or how broken. It doesn't matter how broken you feel right now, even in this moment. Jesus can touch your life and make you a miracle. God can perform any miracle in your life and set you free. 
and then send you out to tell others. You don't need to be a a biblical scholar. You don't have to have advanced degrees to share the freedom and the hope that you have in Jesus. Just share what God has done for you, how he's healed you, how he's restored you, or how he's continuing to restore you, how you are finding freedom and walking in freedom by the power of the Holy Spirit. Share the good news and watch others marvel at the life that has been transformed by Jesus. Jesus has the power and the authority to set you free today. No matter what issues you have or the mistakes you've made, he has the authority over every earthly power and over every spiritual power because nothing is impossible for him. 